We get 10,000 times more energy from the sun than we use, and we are just swimming in solar energy. And so it truly is not an issue of technology. It's just about deployment. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick Podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangen, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I would like to thank Summit Ridge Energy for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Summit Ridge Energy is the leading owner and operator of community solar projects in the United States. Thank you again to Summit Ridge Energy for sponsoring this episode. You'll learn more about them during this podcast. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I'm really excited to have Tim Montague, and he works in business development at Continental Energy Solutions. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Benoit. It's great to be here, man. Thank you for joining the podcast. I feel like we could talk for hours and hours about many different topics. But just to start it off, Tim works in business development at Continental Energy Solutions, which is the largest commercial industrial solar installer and EPC in Illinois. With over 100 projects and 60 megawatts installed, they're known for quality innovation on every job since 1912. And Tim has really a varied background that we're going to learn and you'll see and learn about his passion for solar and renewable energy. He's a solar PV and battery storage executive. We'll also be talking about his podcast, which I enjoy, The Solar Podcast. He's also a speaker, trainer, and consultant. So Tim, welcome to the podcast. It would be great if you could start off talking about your company, Continental Energy Solutions, and what you do for them. For sure. So good to be here, Benoit. I really appreciate your podcast and all the content you're getting out on a regular basis. So I met Brian Haug, our president, in 2016 when I was diving in headfirst to the solar industry here in (laughs) Illinois, and I realized that they were the company I wanted to work for. They got into solar in 09, 08 or 09. You know, we got our first renewable portfolio standard in Illinois in 2008. 25% by 2025 is the goal of that RPS. And that really jump-started the solar and wind industries here. And then we had new legislation that was in the works called FIJA, the Future Energy Jobs Act, that got signed in December of 2016. So I didn't even know that that was happening, though. (laughs) I just knew that solar was happening, and I was casting about for my next big opportunity, so to speak. I'd been consulting in green business, working with manufacturers and an organization called FIAS, the Passive House Institute U.S., which is based in Chicago, that has a, a very you know extreme, efficient building standard. Sustainability is in my blood. I have a lifelong interest in that. I was doing DIY solar with my dad in New Mexico as a kid. And so 2016 was a homecoming for me coming into solar. And I started freelancing for a few developers also in Chicago. But then when I met Brian and Continental, I was like, oh yeah, this is the pony I want to ride. And (laughs) they were an early adopter, right? They're a hundred-year-old electrical contractor. Our sister company is called Continental Electrical Construction Company. We have a holding company also called 4Gen. And so the solar division has just been growing by leaps and bounds since 2016. When I started, we were three people. And now we're over 12, I think. And then we have an arm 
army of electricians with our partner Continental, but we run regularly 350 to 500 electricians in Northern Illinois. So there was unparalleled experience with Brian's team. You know, they built several IKEA store solar projects. That's really what put them on the map. And then the IKEA Joliet Distribution Center sure. was a, a 2.9 megawatt project built in 2017, 2018. And that was the largest rooftop array in the Midwest. So that's the kind of projects that I like doing is big rooftop solar. And then community solar, of course, came with Fija and we've got involved in that as well. Can you talk about how much you've learned in a very short period of time in four years? Because as you know, there's always a solar coaster and everything's constantly in flux. So I'm sure from when you first started at Continental until now, I can't imagine like how much your knowledge base has grown. You know, both me and the company, it's amazing how we have grown. Our intellectual capital is probably a hundredfold more than it was just four <laughs> years ago because of the types of projects that we're getting to do now. All of the interconnections that we've been through, all of the roof studies, the, you know, the structurals, you know, the civil permitting that we're getting to do now. You know, I have a lifelong interest in technology. My father is a self-taught programmer, but he's also a toxics expert, a historian and a journalist. So we were just doing tons of tech-oriented DIY stuff in our garage, in our backyard. And then I went on to study ecology. I was an evolutionary biologist and ecologist, and then a forest ecologist. I have a master's from Wisconsin, a bachelor's from UC San Diego, and I almost became an engineer, but then I switched to biology <laughs> and I so regret that because I totally have chops for math and science and physics, but I didn't see the real world applications, so I strayed. But lifelong interest in technology and sustainability and people. That's really what brings it all together. I'm all about creating a better future for humanity. Me and Elon Musk are cut from the same cloth in that way. And that's why I love to shine a light on his leadership. He is the charismatic leader of our time and of our generation, Benoit. And the dedication and commitment that he has shown is just incredible. And, you know, creating all these multi-billion dollar companies now with Tesla, of course, with SpaceX, the boring company, just that's three out of the five, I think, that he has going, right? There's more. He's really interested in AI. And so, yeah, just love technology. And of course, solar is technology that converts sunlight to energy. We also need storage tons of it. And that is also a very tech heavy industry. <laughs> and I'm drinking from a fire hose, right? Where we constantly Definitely. have to learn about new technologies to be good at our jobs, right? There's just a constant influx of new different technologies, even though solar panels are mature technology, and they're not going to change too much away from this, you know, okay, you've got a square panel or rectangular panel that converts light to energy. And eventually we'll get there with building integrated. Look forward to that. You know, we've done some awning projects at yeah. colleges and we did one commercial awning, but for the most part, we haven't touched building integrated yet. But you can imagine, right? John and I reported on the Clean Power Hour. You know, I do this weekly show with John Weaver, who I'm super pumped for working with. And clear solar is coming, right? So you can build greenhouses, you can build high rises that are just coated in photovoltaics. That's the future. Yeah, that's the future. That's pretty exciting because actually I interviewed Suvi Sharma from Solaria and they're basically a residential solar panel manufacturer and they basically are working on that window sort of transparent sort of technology that you talked about. And that's like a game changer. BIPV as well is huge. You know, obviously Tesla has talked a lot about it. And as well, like I actually interviewed Martin DeBono, who's the CEO of GAF Energy. And they're also focused on that because like residential homeowners are very 
particular about aesthetics and some, you know, don't like the look of having the panel. So that's pretty interesting points. And it's about, you're right, like the technology is continuing to change. And I just want to go back to the point you said earlier about Elon. I mean, I'm still kind of blown away, like his leadership and then what he's been able to do in all these different companies. And, you know, I worked at a former at Solar City, one of Elon's companies. So it's just amazing to kind of see how much he's progressed in a very short period of time. And it's exciting to see the future. Yeah, and it must have been a hard decision for him, right? Because when he folded SolarCity into Tesla, they had to steal a lot of resources to get the car side of that business really going, right? And as we've learned this year or just this last year, Tesla came very close to going bankrupt last year. Yes. <laughs> um, and so it was a good thing. It was a good strategic decision he made. It hurt SolarCity, you know, Tesla Solar. And we saw them withdraw. Like they were playing in the commercial market here in Illinois and then they disappeared appeared and pulled out. But I think 2021, we're going to see Tesla Solar come back, come roaring back. And solar and storage for them is really going to be a bigger moneymaker than the car business. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention his other two companies, just so people understand. OpenAI is another Musk company. He started that. He's kind of parted ways, I think, on the leadership side of that. So he's not directly involved in the day-to-day, but that's definitely a Musk venture. And then Neuralink, which is, you know, embedding electronic in your brain so that you can be internet connected. And their first market is people with brain injuries, which is an amazing thing, right? You can imagine having traumatic brain injury and then Neuralink could help you gain back some of your functions. So he's a humanitarian. He's not perfect like anybody, right? He's got his quirks and his flaws, (laughs) but we want to clone Musk, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, like all those different companies. And it's just amazing to kind of see the progression. And I think that's a great point. You mentioning the other companies that he's working on as well and that are going to change human life for the better. So that's great. I was wondering if you could talk more about like the Illinois market high level and maybe even like the community solar program, the rec solicitation. I know we've had numerous conversations about it. It's always great yeah. to get your perspective. Yeah, so Fiji really rocked our world. Future Energy Jobs Act came into force in summer of 2017. And then what that did is it created a mechanism for creating subsidies for 3,000 megawatts of solar. We had 200 megawatts prior to FIJA in Illinois. So Illinois was a greenfield and this is a ratepayer funded program. So we put a small fee on everybody's energy bill, everybody in the three IOUs, that's mm-hmm. Ameren, ComEd, and MidAmerican. The, we also have many co-ops and munis in Illinois and they can participate in some ways in the program, but for the most part, their customers are not paying into the program as far as I know. What that does though, is it creates a pot of money. It's about two. I think $230 million a year that goes into fund RECs, renewable energy credits, which as you've been very good at pointing out on this podcast, one REC (laughs) is one megawatt hour of electricity that is produced by a renewable energy facility. And so what it does though, is it shortens the payback period for owners and whether that's a commercial industrial owner, a residential owner, or a community solar owner. And so it shortens the payback period from what was before probably a 12 to 15 year payback to a three to six year payback. So it really jumpstarts the market and it works. So we now have 666 megawatts of new DG, including community solar. We have 111, two megawatt AC, mostly three megawatt DC community solar 
solar projects that are either constructed or under construction. Many of them are still not energized, but they will be in the next couple of months. And then all this commercial, industrial, and residential solar. There's also a utility scale market that is part of the program. And we're getting about, I estimate, four to 600 megawatts right now. But utility is such a different world. You don't even need incentives, basically, to do utility. So I think there's much more coming on that side of things. I mean, there's over 60 gigawatts in MISO alone. I think 57 was the Jiggershaw number on my podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> dropped. So, and MISO is just a part of it, right? There's SPP and there's a PJM here in the Midwest. So unfortunately, Benoit, we have what's called a boom and a bust. And that's why the solar industry has this expression, the solar coaster. Those 666 megawatts of RECs came and went. They got used up, they got contracted, and now we're in a holding pattern. We're waiting for more RECs to accumulate because what this program does is it pays out 15 years of RECs over five years, which is wonderful if you're the owner because you get this short payback period. But from a program administration and functionally, it's a flaw because the program spends down faster than it accumulates resources. And so literally now we have no REC money. It's in a holding pattern. The IPA, the authority that manages the program, the Illinois Power Agency, says it could be 2022, it could be 2024 before there's enough money in the program. And so what is happening in Springfield, our capital, is there's new legislation, there's several bills, they're going to change, but and our RPS is going to change. So anyway, there's a major effort to expand the renewable portfolio standard and expand the amount of money that is collected from consumers to pay into incentives, right? Because at the end of the day, we need to green the grid. We need to sunset all of this coal and gas power that we have here in the Midwest and convert that to wind, solar, and battery storage. And, you know, it's clear how to do that, but somebody has to pay for it. And power is so cheap in Illinois. That's one of the barriers to entry in the Midwest is that we have all this cheap coal power. And so I have customers that pay four, five, six cents a kWh. That's low. In New Jersey, where you are, right? What are commercial industrial customers paying per kWh? I would say it's like between eight to 10 cents, 11 cents. So almost twice what we are paying here in the Midwest. In California, it's three times sometimes. The more expensive electricity is, the more valuable renewables are, and the easier it is to make it pencil. So we really do still need incentives in Illinois, and it's appropriate because it is going to create so many good jobs here and help save lives, and eventually we won't need them. And Jigger beats this drum. Jigger Shah, Generate Capital, check it out. He's you know one of the thought leaders in our industry, and he said, look, we don't need subsidies. We can do it. And he's on the side of finance, right, and buying up assets in some places for sure, you know, at large scale. For DG, for rooftop solar, (laughs) we still really do need incentives. And it's not that painful to pay one, you know, a couple of percent on your power bill Not everybody can afford that. So we need to protect low-income people. We do have legislation that, you know, is targeted at that particularly, right, to create carve-outs for low-income populations, whether that's special community solar incentives or ways to subsidize their power bill. We don't want to hurt low-income people, certainly. But those bads, you know, those coal-fired power plants are hurting low-income people. Those projects historically have been cited in low-income communities. I mean, Fisk and Crawford are two famous case studies. They were coal burning power plants on the south side of Chicago. I was involved in a, you know, a decades long fight to shutter those coal plants. And they did finally close about, gosh, now maybe six years ago. 
they were uneconomical, but literally you have these massive smokestacks right in the heart of big residential neighborhoods. And while a lot of that pollution is drifting across the lake to Michigan, a lot of it just comes down on the neighborhood and it's raining down mercury and soot and it's not good for humans. Yeah, that's a great point with the environmental concerns and obviously the importance of the transition to clean energy and state level incentives that we still need to make the projects work. A great point you made is like we should be keeping these incentives for a long period of time, not fits and starts. Because when Illinois, the rec program was kind of first announced, I felt like every developer was going into Illinois and there are so many projects in the queue. And now because there's this uncertainty, you know, a lot of like developers have left the state and it's just really hard from a business perspective to like, if there's not consistent incentive to be successful over a long and consistent term as well. Yeah, it's really hard for the solar industry to deal with that boom and bust. You know, you can imagine so many solar installers have staffed up, invested in training and not just the companies, but the individuals, right? People are getting trained to be installers. There's car outs for training specifically, which is great because human resources are a real limiting factor. You need installers from the very low skill level, you know, laborers up through very high skilled electricians and then engineers and project managers and technicians across the board, right? We need more good people in the industry. And then when it busts like it is doing right now, It's just brutal. Now, the other thing that I want to highlight here about this boom in the bus, though, is that if you're a commercial industrial facility or even a homeowner, you have to think about the future here and this next wave of incentives that is coming. It's offshore now. You can't quite see it. But think of it as a tsunami. And when it comes close to shore and you can actually see it for real, then it's too late and you're going to miss the opportunity, so to speak. So get in the queue, as we say. You don't have to spend a lot of money, but you have to do some of the initial engineering and design and permitting. We call this non-ministerial permits. For rooftop, there's really no permit necessary to get into the queue. But to get into the program, to file an application, you need your non-ministerial permits, you need a shading study, you need a design, you need, you know, show site control, and then you can get in the queue. So that when the program opens, this is going to be block five. It's a block program. We had blocks one through four. That's now closed. Blocks five, six, seven, eight are coming. And the wait list is growing. So it's those companies that are forward thinking, getting on the wait list that are going to benefit. The incentives are stepping down. Every block one through four, they step down 4% block to block. We don't know what the declination is going to be in block five. I estimate 10% just to be conservative. It'll probably be something between four and 10, or they might stick with the 4%. And, you know, they're aware that the incentive was generous enough to get all these developers coming to Illinois. And we're grateful for them. And it's a both end. We need developers and we need more installers and EPCs. And they came en masse, right, from both coasts. Lots of companies from Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, California, and now have offices in Chicago. But those guys are now working in other markets because Illinois is a bust. But if you're a CNI owner, reach out to me because you want to get in the queue and you only need to spend maybe $10,000. It's not buying a system. I mean, I'm curious, Benoit, what you think about this because solar is still pretty expensive technology, right? For residential, it's like buying a car. It's twenty dollars to $25,000, $30,000, right? Yes. Which is not a huge purchase. It's a big purchase. But for commercial, you're looking at $50,000 at a minimum, probably up to you know a couple million. And then you're competing with real capital expenditures that these companies 
they're making, right? Buying manufacturing equipment, expanding their facility, Mm -hmm. maybe opening a new office. And solar projects are competing with these other capital expenditures, right? Yes. That are not necessarily, and, and solar isn't necessarily core to their business. They may want to, you know, get in the game, go solar, become a sustainable company, but it's not an easy decision for these executives to make always. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a challenge when you're competing with other capital expenditures that could help potentially grow your business. Obviously, this is a cost-saving measure and obviously being green is important, but also people want to as well save money. You mentioned about payback. You know, that's obviously a big thing. People want, you know, a faster payback. And I think financing as well helps. So if it's like a power purchase agreement, you know, potentially that could help with lessening, obviously, the capital outlay. It's just a discount to your cost of electricity. So that's like another alternative. Yeah. And we do see a lot of Fortune 500 companies doing PPAs, power purchase agreements, right? Where they're just contracting for the energy that's coming from their rooftop solar array, but somebody else is owning it third party. You're in that business, right? Aren't you in the business of owning these assets? I hopefully one day will own it, but we primarily are like for our own projects, sourcing, financing in a PPA format, and then as well helping like other developers or contractors for their projects to find like a third party investor to basically own the project. So yeah, we built, you know, portfolios of Walmarts and Target stores. And those for the most part are PPAs developed by developers. And we love our developer partners. And then we're the boots on the ground, solar installer and construction company to put those projects together and bring them to fruition. So a no money down PPA is just a wonderful thing, right? For these companies who they don't necessarily know anything about solar, but they know about electricity bills, right? So if they can save money and then go green and promote that to their stakeholders, their consumers, consumers want companies to be sustainable. And you see this at Walmart, for example. I mean, they, throughout the value chain, they are putting pressure on their manufacturers that are selling products in their stores, right? To disclose what's in the products and to become more sustainable, to use safer chemicals and processes across the board, less packaging, It's not a perfect world yet, of course. We have a long ways to go there. And now it's a new day. You know, the industry has winded its back with the Biden administration. Benoit, I'm so excited about that. You know, truly the Biden administration gets it. They get that climate change is a crisis. It is an existential threat and that the clean energy industries is a way to fight back. And we have to fight harder. So we're going to be growing, you know, at a very fast clip. I call it a rocket ship. You know, we did maybe 16 gigawatts in the U.S. last year. We might do 25 gigawatts this year. Yeah, that's amazing growth. Healthy growth that we're going to see for the next 15 years. There's so many great points in what you said. Obviously, like people are becoming more conscious of sustainability and companies are incorporating that into their goals. As you mentioned, climate change as a big threat as well as a way of, you know, post-COVID, a way of uh, stimulating the economy through jobs. You also mentioned the boom and bust scenario in solar. I mean, developers are basically moving to the next hot state. And then, you know, once it's kind of dried up, they go to another state. So it's just interesting because you're seeing a lot of like that activity in like Maine or Rhode Island. 
you know, New York is a very hot state, but some of the economics have changed a little bit on where it's less of incentives. So people are moving out from that. So it's interesting. Well, I'm curious about this boom and bust. Yeah. Benoit, you're there in North Jersey, right? <laughs> yes. And so you're intimate with the New York, the Massachusetts and the New Jersey markets, that cliff that we have going on in Illinois, where have they been able to avoid the money's dried up pretty much in 2019. Maybe it was early 2020 for commercial. And it may be a couple years now still before they come back. So we call it the funding cliff. Have those major solar markets on the East Coast avoided what we have going now? So there has been boom and bust cycles. It's just the degree of the boom and bust. So like in New Jersey, there was a complete collapse in 2011 to 10 because there were so many projects getting built due to the 1603 grant, which was a 30% cash grant, which allowed a lot of development of projects and the cost went down exponentially. So basically that created a lot of supply of projects, which lowered the demand for SREX, which lowered the price. And then the market basically, nothing happened for a year or two years before then, New Jersey then passed in 2012 to fix the supply and demand imbalance to basically make it more balanced and that fixed the market. But what we saw in New York was there was like a hesitation initially to develop projects because of the complexity of the market. They have a value distributed energy, which is basically resources, which is a tariff, which is extremely complicated for investors to understand. So it took some time for people to understand it. Also, the economics are not as strong like in in, you know, the New Jersey SREC, which is at 220, and the TREC, which is at 150 per megawatt hour, which translates to 15 cents per kilowatt hour, which is huge if you think about the customers only paying eight to 10 cents per kilowatt hour and the incentives just 10 cents. So, New York, you know, we see not as big of a boom and bust situation. Massachusetts, they actually had a price floor for their SRECs. So, you didn't see that, but then they changed to a fixed incentive through the SMART program, which is basically like a feed in tariff program. But the challenge is like so much energy or solar has come online that there's been issues with finding interconnection. And then, you know, like when the next sort of smart program blocks and taking time to determine what the value is going to be, which we have an issue as well in New York too, with the incentives that are declining. And that sounds similar to Illinois because you're not able to basically plan what that next incentive is going to be or what the value is, whether it's economic or makes sense, which sounds like in Illinois, the same thing's kind of happening. Yeah. Because they're all using California. California had the megawatt block program. So, but like to get more for businesses to be comfortable, you need a longer tenor of what that incentive is going to be and what it's going to be in the future, which it seems like the regulators don't see it from that perspective, even though I hear it all the time when I'm in these meetings. So, Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick Podcast. I would like to thank Summit Ridge Energy for sponsoring this episode of this podcast. Summit Ridge Energy is the leading owner and operator of community solar projects in the United States. The team has been a strong force within the U.S. commercial solar market for years and was instrumental in the creation of virtual power purchase agreements and associated financing structures. Summit Ridge Energy has leveraged this experience to launch Summit Ridge Capital, a dedicated funding platform that acquires pre-operational community 
Mercedes solar and battery storage projects. SRE also works with landowners across the country to maximize the value of their acreage by offering predictable lease income to host their solar farms. From site identification and system design to takeout financing to construction management, Summit Ridge Energy is the most complete solution provider in the community solar space. Summit Ridge Energy was interviewed twice on the Solar Maverick podcast. Definitely check out those episodes. The latest one was episode 87, how Summit Ridge Energy became one of the largest owners of community solar projects in the U.S. That was with Steve Rader, who's the CEO of the company, and Brian Dunn, who holds the dual role of COO, CFO for Summit Ridge Energy, and they're both founders of the company. And then there was an earlier interview, episode 26, a developer's perspective on the U.S. solar market with Steve Rader, who again is the CEO and founder of Summit Ridge Energy. If you want to learn more about Summit Ridge Energy, you could check them out at their website, which is srenergy.com or info at srenergy.com. We'll be also having in the notes of the podcast details about our sponsor. Thank you again to Summit Ridge Energy for sponsoring this episode of the Solar Maverick Podcast. It takes consistent education and people seeing that this is a real thing. Solar can seem like smoke and mirrors because it does seem like magic, right? Making electricity from sunshine, how does that work? <laughs> yeah. And it took a That's guy a like point. Einstein, right, to figure out the physics of how that works, which then catalyzed the actual engineering of that technology. You know, because we are in a greenfield here, I mean, I'm so jealous, to be completely honest, of the coast where solar has been a thing for 10 years. I mean, the U.S. solar market really took off in like 2010. So here we are in Illinois, it didn't take off until 2019, really. Yes. And now we are getting substantial amounts of solar. And so you're starting to see these solar farms around and you're starting to see residential solar and starting to at least have companies with rooftop solar. You can't see it because these are 30 foot tall buildings and it's flat unless they have a carport. But anyway, you know, when you go to Colorado, you see whole subdivisions with all the homes having solar on the roof. And you drive down the streets in Boulder, Colorado, and it's like there's small strip malls with solar arrays on them. You see it. Uh, (laughs) And we're not there yet in Illinois, right? It's still these just onesie twosies. Even though 666 megawatts was a lot for us and 111 community solar projects is a wonderful number. There's a tranche, you know, a couple more tranches it's going to take, right, of doubling that and tripling that before it really gets a general awareness among the business owners and residents of Illinois and neighboring states. Yeah, that's such a great point because like I would talk to like eight or nine years ago about solar to New Jersey building owners and it was very new to them. But now after eight or nine years of growth of solar significantly because of this SREC program in the state, it's just amazing to me how sophisticated the building owners or even the general public about what essentially solar is, which is pretty amazing. There's that education that's been happening. And a great point too, like when you have people like you know Elon and Tesla and all these other clean energy companies that are growing exponentially. People are learning and hearing about them. It's also building an awareness too that solar and renewable energy is a real industry and it's going to be here and it's just starting. And I think people are understanding and We that should talk about storage, on. right? Because yeah, definitely. people quickly go to, well, it's only good when the sun is shining, Tim, and when the wind is blowing. And that's true. It is an intermittent resource, but we now have lithium-ion technology and we now have a burgeoning hydrogen economy The Europeans are going whole hog into green hydrogen. For long-term storage, hydrogen is a wonderful technology. We don't see it today. 
right? We don't hear about it, but it's coming. And of course, Tesla has made a mark with their residential power wall. They also have commercial industrial and utility scale batteries. And there's a whole slew of other, there's flow batteries that are coming. There's gravity batteries. There's thermal batteries. And 2020s are going to be the decade of storage and green hydrogen, man. I am so pumped. Every solar professional needs to become an expert in storage because that's the killer combo, right? Being able to store extra energy. We get 10,000 times more energy from the sun than we use, and we are just swimming in solar energy. And so it truly is not an issue of technology. It's just about deployment, as Jigger loves to say. (laughs) Deploy, deploy, deploy. We just have to put a stake in the ground and say, we're going to do this. So if you're not boning up on storage and you work in the solar industry, you're making a major mistake. Every solar installer will be doing batteries in the next couple of years, right? It's going to be a real thing. Yeah, that's an exciting thing to talk about. And it's interesting to see some of the state-level incentives for storage, even a standalone storage ITC as well, how much like that would help the market. So it's early in the whole process. It's amazing to see how quickly it looks like prices of lithium-ion are just going down dramatically. I think in the next two or three years, it's just going to make a lot of economic sense combined with solar. And we're seeing the same price drops that we saw in panels. Yeah, and I the efficiency we're also going to see fuel cells kick in here like Hanan fish pointed out on my podcast recently, he is the CEO of Enercon and they do DC coupled storage technology. So these are like DC optimizers. Mm-hmm. It's power electronics, but for commercial scale. Scale, yeah. And he said that fuel cells have been the next great thing for 20 years. And truly, it's just been there. But now with the hydrogen economy coming, that's where fuel cells are really going to be a thing because mm-hmm. you need something to convert the hydrogen to electricity. But you also mentioned the ITC, and I want to shine a light on that because we just got an extension of the ITC, right? We have a solar ITC in the US of 26%. It was going to step down to 22% this year. Luckily, that got extended, and now we have 26% through 2023, which effectively is through 2025 because of safe harboring, as uh, our colleagues like to point out. So learn about the ITC if you're interested in solar, whether that's residential or commercial, and that's a very generous incentive. We do need storage specific, but if you pair your storage with a solar array, then you can use the ITC on that storage as well. And the CapEx for storage, just so people understand, everybody wants a battery until they see the price tag. (laughs) It is a significant CapEx. The ROI though, when it pencils, is amazing. I mean, the storage might double the price Project's cost just at face value as a rough back of the envelope. Yeah. But it could shorten the payback period and it can greatly enhance the overall ROI. I have a project in Joliet. It's an hour from Chicago, basically, right? It's a big industrial city in Northern Illinois. The solar alone was like, I want to say a $6 million ROI over 20 years. The solar and storage was a $20 million ROI. Oh, wow. It really adds tremendous value. So yeah, now it's a bigger capital project, but the ROI is way better. So when it works, it's a wonderful thing. And you have markets like Massachusetts with the SMART program and New York. I mean, those are both states where they have stored specific incentives, right? I don't know about New Jersey. Does Jersey have a stored specific incentive? So not right now. They're planning to introduce a storage incentive in the near future. And obviously, like that'll be a huge opportunity for all the solar developers and installers because everyone's asking about storage. I'm surprised how many building owners are asking me about storage. As you said, everyone wants to do storage. 
I mean, it truly gives you so much flexibility, right? You can have off-grid capabilities, which is resiliency, right? If the grid goes down, if there's a hurricane, if there's a flood, truly a battery is a wonderful thing to operate your critical loads, keep the lights on, keep the computers running, keep the (laughs) whatever it is you need, refrigeration, right? So, you know, let's face it, disasters are happening more frequently with greater scale. You see the fires in California, you see the hurricane season that we had this past year, although we dodged a bullet and it wasn't a huge disaster the way like Katrina was, it's coming. And so the resiliency aspects of storage are awesome. And then there's other, you know, we talk about the value stack and I don't know what the value stack is in New Jersey. Every geography has a unique value stack. (laughs) So you really need to find partners who understand your geography, your utilities, the rates, like we're in PJM in Northern Illinois, and then we're in MISO in Central and Southern Illinois. And those are different markets. PJM, you can do frequency regulation as a value stack. We attack capacity charges. We don't attack demand charges, which Mm -hmm. is a thing on the coasts. We have relatively low demand charges, but capacity charges can be a third of a customer's bill. And so a battery is a great way to attack those charges and then also provide resiliency if you can do something at scale enough to keep the facility running in some significant way. We have a manufacturer here in Central Illinois that we just commissioned a battery on and they do injection molding. And so if they have a brownout or an uncontrolled shutdown, it costs them $50,000 to clean out the machines. It's very expensive. And so the battery, we did a Tesla battery there, two megawatt battery, I think. And that's going to allow them to do a controlled shutdown. It won't keep the facility running for hours and hours. It'll keep it running for a couple of hours. And then they can do a controlled shutdown if the grid isn't coming back Mm -hmm. and avoid that expensive, uncontrolled, where everything gets gunked up and it's a mess. That is huge. It's pretty amazing to hear. I appreciate you providing that example. What states does Continental Energy Solution, you know, I know you're based in Illinois, but you do other work in the Midwest and around the U.S. Can you talk about where you're focused on and maybe other markets you might be looking into? To yeah, thank you for EPC? asking. We, you know, we are a Illinois company. We've been doing projects in neighboring states. And then we did a couple projects in Kansas. We've done a couple projects in Michigan. We've done several projects in Wisconsin to our north. We haven't done Iowa yet. Our sister company builds data centers. And we've been building a huge data center for Microsoft in Iowa. The Iowa solar market is intriguing. There's rumblings that Iowa might come on here. And then Benoit, because of the boom in the bus, though, with CNI and small utility the way we have here, we are now going further afield. Yes. Right. We are chasing the good market. So we are bidding work in New Jersey, in Maryland. Colorado. And that's where our partners come in. So if you're a solar developer, we would love to talk with you and give you some references because our work stands out. We do O&M on any scale project. So we're doing O&M on community solar, these three megawatt projects. And then of course, all kinds of commercial industrial. And so we're seeing all the work that different contractors do. And it's a spectrum, good, bad, ugly. And some of it's really ugly. So if you're a developer and you're looking for a high quality installer, please please reach out to us and we will show you some examples of our work where we have some very experienced developer partners like Summit Ridge Energy, wonderful developer. I mean, they own 40% of the community solar market in Illinois and they've told us we have never seen underground work like that. Our pipe and wire work is just off the charts, beautiful and solid, right? (laughs) And so these are long-term assets. You don't want your solar array breaking. 
or catching on fire. And accidents do happen. If you don't have proper wiring, you know, if everything isn't done really well, you're going to have problems and it's just going to cost you, right? And it's going to cost your customers and it's just not worth it. So I'm not suggesting this is easy, Benoit, for us to grow <laughs> outside of the Midwest. It's going to be a process. And we also have a network of other contractors that we work with. We are an IBEW contractor in Illinois, in Northern mm-hmm. Illinois. And so we do have that network. We are part of something called the Electric Round table, which is a network of family-owned, for the most part, electrical contractors that are like-minded. They're very highly vetted. We have a very high safety standards and a very good safety track record. We're very solid financially. And so we're part of this national family, basically, of companies. So we leverage that network. And then now at Continental Energy Solutions, and that was one of the reasons we became a separate company, is we also do non-union work as well. And so every project, every market is going to be different and a different solution from a labor perspective. The vast majority of our work is still IBEW, but we now have more flexibility on that front. Yeah, definitely. That's really helpful. I appreciate you explaining, Tim. And I think the really big point is to developers, it's not about getting the cheapest EPC. It's about the quality of the work that's done so that you could have an asset that lasts 20 to 25 years. That's great that you guys do you know, an amazing work. It boggles the mind, Benoit, how <laughs> there is this race to the bottom. On the one hand, I understand you have to make money, right? You won't stay in business if you don't make money. But if your model is, I want to find the cheapest installer, the cheapest solution, you're going to get what you pay for and you're going to end up with dysfunctional power plants at the end of the day. <laughs> that is not a long-term strategy. That may make you profitable in the near term, but you're going to get a reputation, right? Because most of these assets change hands, sometimes multiple times. Yeah, and then obviously part of the due diligence process is like inspections of the site. So you could pretty quickly tell like the quality of the installation. So that's a great point for our audience. You really can see it. Just a visual inspection of a project, you will see the difference between highly skilled labor and highly unskilled labor. It's night and day. <laughs> that is a great point. You know, you mentioned, and I talked about it in the beginning, you started the Solar Podcast. You do two shows a week, one where you interview industry experts and then you do like the solar power out with John, which you mentioned, what made you want to create content? You know, I really appreciate it. What you do, you know, I really learn a lot from your conversation. So thank you for being a trailblazer. The podcast was originally a webinar that I started in 2017. It was called Solar Works for Illinois. And I was just a talking head giving presentations on this is how commercial industrial solar works. We need a lot of education in the market, right? Because people don't know what solar is. They don't know how it works. They don't know how it generates ROI. And then I started to get guests on uh, from solar finance, from community solar. I had IPS solar from Minnesota talking about community solar, right? (laughs) And then I realized, oh my goodness, these interviews are way better. They're less work for me. They're more fun. So then I switched. I just kind of completely flip-flopped. And last year, I changed the name to The Solar Podcast because truly I am casting a broader net. I'm not just focused on the Illinois market, although we will mostly be a Midwest company. We're going to go to the coasts. And so I want to get information out there about the industry nationwide and globally. And then I found, you know, there is another podcast, I got to think of the name, that I follow 
where these three thought leaders have a conversation on a weekly basis, just kind of chewing the fat about what's going on in technology. They talk about EVs, AI, and technology in general. Oh, no, in space. Mm-hmm. And I saw that as a model. And so that was the ideation for the Clean Power Hour. I cast about for a partner, so to speak, and Christian Roseland at PV Magazine, who is now at RMI, he pointed me to John Weaver and said, hey, check that guy out. So I called John. John is in Massachusetts. He'd been a journalist for PV Magazine, and now he's a solar installer and EPC doing residential and commercial work. So we started talking and then he was game and then we started that and away we went. And we had pretty much instant chemistry. It was just kind of luck of the draw. But so I'm doing one Clean Power Hour discussion every week and then two solar podcast interviews every week. So I'm doing three shows a week now. Oh, I didn't realize that. It's been a heavy lift though, brother. I think I appreciate you. (laughs) When you're an underdog, people don't recognize your name and it's a challenge to get good high quality guests. And that's getting a lot easier now. I have guests reaching out to me, thank God. So if you're interested in coming on the Solar Podcast or the Clean Power Hour, we have guests on the Clean Power Hour also. You know, we had an expert in repowering and recycling solar panels come on. On the Clean Power Hour, we occasionally have uh, third parties come on. But for the most part, John and I just break down the renewable energy news each week. He's a real geek for solar panel technology. So we're always covering the latest and greatest with solar cell technology. There's a lot of innovation happening. We're approaching 25% efficiency now in solar module technology. Yeah, that's amazing. uh, Which is crazy. We talk about storage, we talk about wind, we talk about green hydrogen. And so it's just a lot of fun. You know, in the notes of the podcast, we'll have information, a link to your podcast. I appreciate the content that you're putting out there. And I think it's really important for the solar industry to have voices from people in the industry and for people to learn. So... Well, thank you, Benoit, because you know, you're an aspirational peer for me. You and Nico Johnson and our friends at the Energy Gang, you guys are the best. And there's so much room for more and better information right in social media. This is the good side of social media, I, I like to say. Um, I see myself as a spokesperson for the industry. I want more and better professionals to get into the industry. We need tens of thousands of smart, ambitious, caring people to come into wind, solar, and storage. I mean, definitely making the clean energy transition is a massive transformation of the built environment. And no matter what your interest is, you can find a niche in energy and sustainability, but it's guys like us that are going to help them find that thread. And it's amazing how many people that we're going to need. And as time goes on, and you know, really, this is a long-term opportunity. We haven't really made much of a dent, which is surprising to a lot of people. It's just beginning. We're, we're still at the bottom of the curve, right? We have, yes. as Jigger pointed out a few weeks ago on my show, we have about 10% wind and solar now, non-hydro green resources on the grid. That's awesome, right? But it's only 10%, right? We're going to go to 70 or 80% with just wind and solar. So there's a huge runway ahead of us, hundreds of gigawatts. John estimated, John Weaver, my partner, right on the Clean Power Hour, estimated 800 gigawatts of solar by 2035 we might be installing. So it's just hard to imagine how much solar that is. And don't be afraid 
if you are listening to this and you're thinking, well, these guys are going to pave over the breadbasket with solar panels. I'm not sure about this. We're only <laughs> going to take one to 2% of the landscape. And that includes what's already been built on, right? We've already built on 6% of the landscape with roads and buildings, Benoit. So there's so much rooftop space. When you fly over any major metro, you see it right there, right? Just all yeah, these definitely. rooftops waiting for solar panels. But the ground mounts also, you know, and I don't want to unnecessarily use up prime farm ground, but we just need a small percentage of it. And so it is worth it to save our butts from climate change to do that. But we're not going to pave over the world with solar. We don't need to. There's so much solar energy, like I said, 10,000 times more energy than we need. I really appreciate you explaining that to the listeners. And this has been an amazing interview, Tim. Like if the audience or our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, reach out to me on Twitter, TG Montague on Twitter. You can also find me on LinkedIn. And if you want to check out our website, CESNRG, just those six letters, NRG.com. If you go to forward slash podcast, you'll see all of our content. If you go to forward slash events, you'll see our upcoming live events. So we do a live podcast every month. And this month we have First Solar coming on. So I'm excited oh, for that. We're going to be talking about Plant Predict, which is a uh, energy modeling tool that First Solar has developed. And all my contact info is there on the events page. Yeah, that's great. And we'll have it as well in the notes of the podcast. So it's easy for people to find you. And thank you again, Tim. Like this is amazing. Like you've provided a lot of great insight. Keep doing what you're doing. I really appreciate everything that you're doing. And thank you for your time today. Well, thank you, Benoit. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think could benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at R-E-N-E-U energy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangin and Kevin Y. Brown.